This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Lamentations, chapter 4. It's found on page 689 in the Bibles there in your rows if you'd like to turn there and follow along as I read. Lamentations 4. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. Even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger, and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or any enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you shall the cup, to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be with you this morning. You know, a friend of mine was uh, from another church was saying, you know, five weeks in Lamentations, that's an awful lot of sad for one congregation to deal with. And uh, it gave me a little pause. I started to maybe rethink, 
you know, should we be doing this series for this long? But then I realized that uh, Taylor Swift has written a whole lot of breakup songs and people keep buying those. So there, I think there's a market for this kind of thing. By the way, I was looking it up this morning. A few years ago, people calculated 44% of all Taylor Swift's songs have a breakup mention in some way or another. I know a lot about Taylor Swift. You should know that. Um, I feel like we can do five weeks uh, on laments. And you will get a little break next week. My friend Tolliver Wills will be here. He's uh, speaking at our men's retreat. And we'll stick around for Sunday morning. Tolliver is a longtime director of Athletes in Action at Miami University, now a pastor in urban Atlanta. And so you get a break from Lamentations next week, but then to start Holy Week, we'll finish up with Lamentations chapter 5 on Palm Sunday. But we've been calling this series The Lost Language of Lament. Now, what is a lament? Here's Kathleen O'Connor's definition. She writes, laments are prayers that erupt from wounds, burst out of unbearable pain, and bring it into language. Laments complain, shout, and protest. They take anger and despair before God and the community. They grieve, they argue, they find fault, even as they cling obstinately to God and demand for God to see, hear, and act. That's a a brilliant definition. Here's my own definition of a lament, a little shorter one. Uh, a lament is a way to hurt with God rather than apart from him. A lament is a way to hurt with God rather than apart from him. And I'm sorry to say you are going to hurt in this world. And so that's why it's so important to learn the language of lament because learning that language is a way to hurt with God rather than to hurt apart from him. Now, what hurt is the author of the book of Lamentations going through? Traditionally, the book has been ascribed to the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. There's pictures there on the the banner uh, or painting of him. After the death of King Josiah, who was a good king, it's very rare in the Old Testament to find a good one, but Uh, Josiah dies, and Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, enters into a period of increasing instability. And the Babylonians took this opportunity. They were the superpower of the time. They sensed this instability. And so in 597 BC, there was a siege of Jerusalem where many of the upper crust of Jerusalem were deported to Babylon. But then a few years later, in 586 BC, a second siege began, and it was total devastation. Jerusalem, the city was destroyed, the temple was burned down, most of the inhabitants were killed or taken into captivity, and you can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 25 or 2 Chronicles 36. That's the setting for the book of Lamentations. And then when we get to chapter 4, where we are this morning, uh, Jeremiah is exhausted. This chapter has the same poetic structure that the previous three chapters do, but everything here is condensed. Everything is shorter. It seems like he's running out of words. The theologian Christopher Wright says, the poet, like his book of poems itself, is limping more weakly to a standstill. And if you've ever been in any kind of chronic or enduring pain, you know what that's like, right? It just takes the wind out of you. It saps you. It wears you down and wears you out. In chapter 4, the fewer words reflect the real famine of food in Jerusalem and ultimately the famine of hope in the people. Kathleen O'Connor simply titles this chapter, Beaten Down. 
It's like they're asking God, can we possibly get any lower? Have we reached the bottom of this grief and devastation and sadness? Will it ever end? And before we walk through the text this morning, I want to talk about something that we've alluded to over the previous weeks, but I want to draw out maybe a little bit, highlight a little bit more explicitly this morning. And that's that Lamentations is a book of poems. Poetry, of course, as you know, is an art form. And one of the roles that the arts play is to help us express the inexpressible, to speak the unspeakable. And since the attack on Jerusalem, the survivors are speechless. Poetry and art more generally is an attempt to give expression to what is often too deep for words. Pastor Mike told us in week one that the Hebrew name for the book of Lamentations is just one word in Hebrew. It's the word for how. Or in Hebrew, it's the word ika, which we translate as how, as in how long, O Lord, or how could this happen? But in truth, it's not a proper word so much as it is an interjection, a cry, a wail. Like we would say, oh, or ugh. This is how the book of Lamentations begins. And it's how the chapter we have before us this morning, chapter 4, begins. And this is often how prayers and pain begin. With a cry, or with a scream, or with a groan. Even the Holy Spirit prays this way. Paul says in Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. How do you express what you're feeling when your home, your family, your livelihood, your job, your very world collapses? Like the people in Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day or like the people in Ukraine today. How do you express that? Maybe it's only with a groan. But another attempt may come through the medium of art. Maybe you've seen this video. This is a woman getting ready to leave her apartment in Kiev for the last time. I'll let you see just a short clip from this. (laughs) Bye-bye. Sometimes music communicates what ordinary language cannot, and poetry does this too. That's why the Book of Lamentations is so powerful. It's a series of highly stylized poems. Chapters 1 to 4 are alphabetical acrostics, each with 22 stanzas. One for each, uh, each stanza begins with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all 22 letters of Hebrew, and then chapter 
5 deviates from this pattern a little bit, but still in this 22 stanza poetic format. Why poetry? Because sometimes ordinary language just will not do. Sometimes poetry or music or painting or sculpture can give expression to something that seems otherwise inexpressible. When you create something like this, it also can invite others into the lament. It resonates with others who have trouble finding the words as well and gives them an outlet for expressing these things as well. I've been reading a book by the African theologian Emmanuel Katangole called Born from Lament. The subtitle is The Theology and Politics of Hope in Africa. And it's about the role that lament has played in Christian communities ravaged by civil war, particularly in the Congo. And lament often takes the form of music in Africa. For example, there was a, a Swahili song called Dunia M. I'm sure I'm getting the pronunciation wrong. Dunia M. A. Chafuka, which translated The World is Tarnished. It was written by a choir director for church music, but became broadly popular. It was played on radio stations throughout the country because it resonated as much. And the, the refrain in, in the song is a simple lament Father, Father. We suffer a lot in Congo. Father, Father, we suffer a lot here in Congo. Why did that become a hit song? Because it resonated others trying to find the words, trying to find a way to express the inexpressible. Another popular lament song was composed by a children's ministry director, a song for a children's choir called Nightmare of a Congolese Child. And I'll read you just a part of it. Incredible but true Why pour my tears out? No one can explain it. At evening, the gang came without explanation. The shot was fired. When my mother ran to save herself, they killed her. We were saved, but we don't understand. Why this atrocity? Why? My brother killed, my sister kidnapped and wounded, my cousins made to enroll in war. Who is left? My grandmother thrown into a ravine. Why? Why? Now I am alone, no defense, no help. Hunger and begging, my companions by day. Mosquitoes and dew, my blanket at night. Loneliness, my bosom friend. I call upon the conscience of the atrocity initiators, the collaborators from near and far, the malefactors to lighten our pain. For we are the victims, the innocent. Dear friends, come to Jesus. He is our only shelter. It is your power that fills me, and you I want to live. I love to live. You are the rock where I shelter, the Lord of my life. Now imagine that being part of your job as a children's director, to write lyrics like that, to help children speak the unspeakable, express the inexpressible. And for some of you, that is your job if you're a counselor or a social worker or an artist. It's a great gift when you can help others give voice to something that they would otherwise have difficulty in expressing. And that's why the book of Lamentations is in our Bible. The poet's expression of his pain helps us to express the inexpressible. To learn the language of lament enables us to hurt with God rather than apart from God. Let's turn to the text itself this morning. The poet gives us a tour of the devastated city of Jerusalem and everything, it appears, has come apart. All order has descended into chaos. In the first 10 verses, it's as if, uh, if this was a movie, it's as if the brilliant colors would dissolve into an ugly monochromatic 
gray. Everything has grown dim. Verse 1, how the gold has grown dim. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. Now, this is a reference to the destruction of the temple, but it's also a metaphor for the destruction of God's people. We know that because verse 2, it says, the precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots. So the children of Zion, precious as gold, lie scattered in the streets, discarded as if they were nothing but broken pottery. It's as if the whole population of Jerusalem has been thrown away like trash. And then the poet's attention goes to the plight of the children. As you all know that in any disaster scenario, children suffer, especially, verse 3, even the jackals, wild animals in desolate places. Even they feed their children, but the people of Judah are more like ostriches who are thought to abandon their eggs to leave their young. Verse 4, the tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives it to them. And the only thing worse than a child crying out in hunger is a child that's too weak to cry out in hunger. Verses 5 to 8, Jeremiah depicts the leveling effects of this siege, it's not just the poor who suffer, but the rich are also starving. Some have called this the democracy of deprivation. Those who once had honor and wealth now find themselves in the ash heap. The feasting has come to ruin. The glory of the princes is gone. Verse 6 makes the comparison to Sodom, the archetypal story of judgment in the Bible. But Jeremiah says this is even worse. Sodom's judgment, at least it was over quickly. But Jerusalem's was stretched out over a long period of time. Verse 9, happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. It's a starry state when death by sword is considered a mercy. And then the most horrific image of all, verse 10, the hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became like food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. And I read somewhere that Cormac McCarthy had this verse in mind for a scene in his apocalyptic novel, The Road. If you've read it, maybe you remember that haunting scene. Compassionate hands of mothers are supposed to care for and protect their children, but here they're preparing them for food. And the commentator suggests that perhaps the children have already died and the mothers then are forced to cannibalism in order to sustain the rest of the family. We don't know the situation other than to say this is the most horrific of images that perhaps we could even imagine. The most horrific image that the poet is painting. Have we reached the bottom? How long will our suffering continue? Will this ever end? And then starting in verse 11, Jeremiah goes on to talk about why this has happened. And as in the other poems, he emphasizes that God's judgment is behind the destruction of Jerusalem. Yes, it's a foreign power. Yes, the Babylonians are the ones who are invading. But he says God is behind this. Verse 11, the Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. If the Babylonian inferno was the physical reality, the more terrifying reality behind it is the wrath of God. And then Jeremiah gets more specific. Verse 13. 
This was for the sins of the prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. God's wrath is directed specifically to the unrighteousness of the religious leaders who have betrayed their calling. Verse 14, they're supposed to lead the way for the people, but now they wander blindly through the streets. Verse 15, they were called to be set apart as holy, but now they're cast off as unclean. In 2016, uh, the movie Spotlight was a surprise uh, Academy Award winner for Best Picture. I say surprise because it didn't win any of the other awards leading up to this that typically signal, you know, this could be a, a candidate to win Best Picture. didn't win any acting or directing awards, but in the end, it won the big one. And if you don't know the movie, it's the story of a team of reporters for the Boston Globe who exposed the sexual abuse by priests and the cover-up of the Catholic Church in Boston. It was called Spotlight because of the light that was cast on the 90-plus priest abusers who were hidden in the shadows and then the thousands of victims who then could come out of hiding. There's a scene in the movie where one of the reporters discovers that a house in his own neighborhood has become a halfway house for priests who had been removed from a parish for suspicion of abuse, but then were often put back into leadership in a different parish. And the reporter writes a large note and pins it to the refrigerator of his house so that his children and his family would see. It's a picture of the house and the address and says, don't go near this house. Don't talk to anyone living there. The priest becomes the pariah. And that's exactly the picture that's depicted In Lamentations 4, the guides are blind, the shepherds are wolves, the protectors have blood on their hands. Francis Schaeffer said somewhere that religious evil is the worst kind of evil because it betrays a trust. Have we reached the bottom? Will this suffering ever end? After announcing God's judgment, the poet returns to a retelling of the invasion. And now it's more of a communal Levent. Notice the plural pronouns now starting in verse 17. Our eyes have failed. In our watching, we watched. They dogged our steps. Our days were numbered. Our pursuers chased us. The pursuit of the Babylonian army finally leads to the capture of King Zedekiah on the plains of Jericho. Verse 20, the Lord's anointed. They put out his eyes. They bound him with bronze shackles. And the people are doomed because they no longer have the protection of the king's shadow. Once was precious is treated as worthless. Children who should be nurtured are being starved. The rich are reduced to the rubbish heap. Sumptuous colors are turned to gray. Ruddy good health is shrunk and shriveled. Mothers who should feed their children are eating them instead. Holy men have become dirty and defiled. The royal protector of life is himself trapped in a pit. Have we reached the bottom? Now, before we finish this out, let's just talk about a couple of applications here. And these aren't entirely new or novel from what we've been talking about the last few weeks, but it's worth reiterating again, especially this first one, that we need to practice lament as a spiritual discipline. And certainly why we're doing this series, but also why we make 
lament, a part of our regular liturgy and our worship together. At least monthly, we tend to work in that into what we do together as a community. We need to learn this language, the language of lament. You have biblical license to call out to God like this. Actually, I would go further than that. You have biblical command to call out to God like this. And by the way, do you know who is the first one in the Bible to lament? God is the first one in the Bible to lament. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. After Adam and Eve sin in the garden, after they break their covenant relationship with God, after they choose to listen to the lies of the serpent rather than the truth and the gift and the blessing of their creator's invitation, he comes to them in the garden and he says, where are you? Before we ever cry out to God in our pain saying, God, where are you? God comes to us in his pain saying, where are you? And then you get to the Psalms and like 40% of the Psalms are laments, more than praises. Lament is a way to hurt with God rather than apart from him. And I was thinking a lot these last few weeks about the phenomenon of uh, what people are now calling deconstruction, people deconstructing their Faith and sometimes losing their faith, often because of past hurts or disappointments or perhaps the failures of religious leaders. And I'll say, I have some sympathy for that impulse, uh, even if I don't wish people to go through that process of tearing their faith down. But I was wondering that if some of this impetus to tear down in the midst of pain wouldn't be there, if there was a healthy and regular rhythm of lament already woven into our spiritual life with God and with each other. And as I was thinking that, then I read what my friend Liz McEwen wrote this week, and she put it better than I could, and so I'll just read to you what she wrote. I have her permission for this, I think. She said, It being the season of Lent and all, I want to share that embracing the biblical practice of lament is the only reason I didn't abandon the Christian faith when I was a young adult. For the past 20 years, lament has been a great stabilizing discipline for me. It has humanized my faith in a way other spiritual practices have not. It has opened me to greater self-awareness and made me more aware of those around me. It has not cured my spiritual angst, but it has torn me open and then opened my eyes to the depth of need in both myself and my neighbor. It's made me more desperate for the power of resurrection. Some people think that the experience of Christian victory and joy and my best life with Jesus is what draws us nearer to the heart of God. And yes, there's some of that to be found. But I found intimacy with Jesus just as much in the dark places of my mind and heart. As my favorite theologian, Frederick Buechner, says, the gospel is bad news before it is good news. And oh boy, isn't the world so very full of bad news? If we don't embrace the biblical framework for approaching the bad news of the world, then we can never come out through it to the other side, the side where we encounter the good end of the story. Here we see in part, in eternity, we'll see it in full. Practice lament as a spiritual discipline. And we've given you a little guide for how to do that in your bulletin each week during this series and also the opportunity after the sermon, to take one of those little tags that are 
in your rows before we come to the Lord's Supper to take some time to write out your laments, your prayers to God. And then each week we're seeing those things gathered up together and pooled together as a people as we offer them to the Lord from week to week. So practice laments as a spiritual discipline. Secondly, as an application this morning, try to find a way to speak the unspeakable. That is, you might need a way to express yourself that takes a different form than ordinary, typical language. Some people work this out through journaling, right? And that's, there's often non sequiturs in there, and there's lots of exploration and just trying to get it out and figure out what's going on. People who write often like to journal to do this. I have a friend whose son has some mental and emotional challenges that make it difficult for him to express himself. And so he sits at the kitchen table and he colors, he draws. What he often can't speak, he can draw. I had another friend for whom it was running, whether it was being alone or it was the quiet of the early morning or the rhythm of his feet on the pavement or the endorphins from the physical exertion. It was during a long run that he often could process his feelings of hurt before the Lord. What is it for you? What medium can you use to speak the unspeakable? Wounds exposed become wounds attended to, and therefore it's important for us to go through that process. Try to find a way that works for you. And final application is just simply to move toward others when they are lamenting. Move toward those who weep. The cry of anguish has a cathartic effect for the sufferer, but it's also an invitation to others to see and to hear and to stand with those who suffer. It's part of what it's like to be in community together and even more broadly as we think about suffering. I've been in a pastor's cohort for the last four years with a man by the name of Andrew Moroz. See, he's the guy on the right there on the screen. He's a Ukrainian immigrant to the United States, now a pastor in Virginia. And I was with him just a couple of weeks ago. We do these little pastor's retreats together, the six of us. And Every day, he had to step out of our meetings to do radio and television interviews about what was going on in his home country of Ukraine. He actually is on his way to Ukraine tonight with a relief trip, providing supplies and for refugees. And he explained that he's doing these inter- interviews as a way of lamenting for himself what's happening in his homeland, but also as an invitation to others to pray and potentially to act. And so it is with those that we encounter in pain. So move toward those who weep. We have to finish up here, but I do want to return to our original question. Lamentations 4 is the cry, have we reached the bottom? Have we reached the end of our suffering yet? Verse 21 is an announcement of the judgment on the neighboring nation of Edom. Edom had gawked and gloated over Israel's demise, but Jeremiah says a reckoning will come for them too. And by the way, that's actually what the little book, smallest book of the Old Testament, book of Obadiah is about, is about this um, experience of judgment on Edom. But notice the imagery of the cup being passed to them as well. They too, Jeremiah says, will drink of the cup of God's judgment, and it is terrible. But then tucked away in the very last verse is a note of hope for God's people. Verse 22, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. 
He will keep you in exile no longer. Now remember the question, right? Have we reached the bottom? Will this ever end? And what does Jeremiah say? The answer is yes. It will have an end. There will be a time when we're able to say the punishment of Zion's iniquity is over. It's been accomplished. Some translations say the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is finished. If you've read the New Testament, your mind might go directly to John chapter 19, verse 30, which records the very last words of Jesus on the cross before he dies. He, as his arms are stretched apart, he's breathing his last. He says, it is finished. Jesus accomplished your salvation when he went to the cross. The shameful things that you have done, the shameful things that have been done to you, he takes them all upon himself on the cross. The shameful things that you've done, he drinks the cup of God's judgment and wrath so that all that is left for you then is the cup of God's blessing and joy. The shameful things that have been done to you, he takes those as well onto himself so that they can be healed in his resurrection power. Your union with him in his suffering also leads to union with him in his resurrection. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is finished. He has done it. And we're going to pray here now, and we're going to take a few moments after I do in silence. If you'd like to write a prayer of lament, remember this is a way to hurt with God rather than to hurt apart from God. You can write those prayers out if you'd like, and you can bring them up with you as we come to communion in a moment. There's some baskets, one up on the table up there if you'd like to do that. But let's pray together, and then we'll give you a couple moments of silence if you'd like. Lord, we, we need to learn this language of lament so that we can hurt with you rather than hurt apart from you. Wounds exposed or wounds attended to. And I pray that we might indeed open ourselves up to you this morning and we might take shelter in the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who went to the bottom for us, who drank the cup and you said it is finished. Hallelujah. What a savior. We come in his name now and approach your throne of grace with confidence because of his work for us. And now I'll just give you a couple moments of silence. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's New City. C-I-N-C-Y dot org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.